It's already been discussed many times as Pirush Rashi Allah Torah that in regards to Rashi's commentary on the Torah, Agam as a Kum Mikra, although primarily he comes to explain the simple meaning of the Psukim, Pirashi Alain is Madhush Kamavakamapaamim. As Rashi himself emphasizes this a number of times, and he says it right in the beginning of, uh, right at the first in the first said that and I have come to explain only the simple meaning. That's what he says. But although that's true, there are extraordinary things that can be learned from Rashi as well. From the Andra Chelkia Torah, things which are pertain to other areas in Torah, the other um, dimensions of Torah, even in the area of the uh, esoteric part of Torah. Okay, and as is well known, the Varfin Alten Rebbe, as Mepirish Rashi of Chumash is Yenishal Torah that the commentary of Rashi on Chumash is the wine of Torah, which means the wine represents the hidden, the side the esoteric part of Torah. But in order to be able to get dig, dig deep down into the meaning of these esoteric explanations that we can find in Rashi, in order to understand what Rashi is alluding to in the esoteric part of Torah, you first have to understand what he's teaching in the simple pshat of the Torah. Based on that, we can understand the further extraordinary things as well. Because even those things which he teaches in regards to the uh, esoteric part of Torah, it's interwoven it comes through understanding the simple meaning uh, of what Rashi, uh, or the simple meaning of the Psukim, which is what Rashi teaches primarily. If you understand what he's saying in regards to the simple Psukim, then you understand what he is also teaching in the esoteric part, the extraordinary teachings. So also in our Parsha, we find a commentary of Rashi has an halting which contains extraordinary teachings in their area of halacha, as well as the esoteric part of Torah. However, first we're going to have to explain the simple meaning of the psukim as they are found in Rashi. Rashi, and then we'll be able to understand what he's saying behind the line, behind the scenes. Base. In the story as the as it unfolds in our parsha, where it tells about what Yeshua and Kolev said to the people, to the Jewish people, in regards to coming and going and conquering Eretz Yisrael, Shtetim Pasek, the Pasek says, Ach, that the Yeshua and Kolov said to the Yidin, Ach ba Hashem al timreidu, however, you shall not rebel against Hashem, va'atam al tiro esam and you shall not be afraid of the people of the land, the people that live in Eretz Yisrael. Now, 
because they are our bread. Silon, the the shade, the protection has been removed, etc. So that's what the Pasik says, is Rashi Matik from Pasik Deverter Altim Raidu. Rashi quotes the words from the Pasik which says, Do not rebel. And as Mefarashin explains, the Shuv If you do not rebel, then you will not be afraid. So the the comment the commentary on Rashi explains many of the commentaries explain Rashi kum zogn that Rashi is trying to say is the that what the pasuk says in continuation to do not rebel against Hashem you will not be afraid is a is a result of do not rebel if you will not rebel then you will not have to be afraid. If you will not rebel, so then as a result, Shuv means as a result, you will not have to be afraid of the people. When Rashi's Hechrech of them, how does Rashi know that Ba'atem Altiro, because Ba'atem Altiro can be interpreted simply, do not rebel against Hashem, do not be afraid of the people. They're two separate independent things that Yeshua and Kala were telling the people. They suddenly felt afraid because of what the other Raglam said. So that he could have been saying, they could have been saying, do not rebel against Hashem. Do not be afraid of the people. That, that's just another command. So Rashi says, no, what it means is, do not rebel against Hashem. Therefore, you will have no reason to be afraid. How does Rashi know that this is what it means? Is fundam shiniyaseide, because it, uh, we see a change in the order of what they were saying. By altim roidu state freer in vemen by Hashem. When it says do not rebel against him, it first identifies who they shall not rebel against. It says by Hashem to Hashem do not rebel. So first it identified who is not going. You should not rebel against. Um by altiro and then when it comes to do not be afraid state the noch far vemen. Only after does it say, from whom you shall not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the people of the land. Before we start the second, the first one is, <clears throat> if it was a series of things, independent things, then it should have followed the same order. Hashem you shall not rebel against. The people you shall not be afraid of. That's how it should have said. But it says, In Hashem you shall not rebel. And you will not be afraid. You shall not be afraid of the people of the land. So therefore, it must be a result. Since he changes the order, if it were just a series of things, it should have followed the same order. But since Rashi says, it's not a series of things. One is dependent on the other. If if Hashem you do not rebel against him, so then you will have no reason to be afraid of the people of the land. That's one proof. Other, another way that Rashi learns it is, it says, and you shall not be afraid. Why does he say, and you shall not be afraid, rather than, and don't be afraid? Therefore Rashi says, it's not a series of things. First they said, you shall not rebel against Hashem. And then you will have no reason to be afraid. That's what the Va'atam teaches. From this Rashi sees that it's talking, that it's a result 
of having not rebelled against Hashem, therefore you will have no reason to be afraid of them. The Funas Rashi Machriach from this Rashi knows as the Atam Al that when it says and you will not be afraid as Amshirtu is a result of the not rebelling against Hashem. The beard is of a kosher. But this explanation that still needs some more explanation. Varum because Lafize had Rashi Gedaf Matik Zain from Pasik Oichdem Vart Fardem Fardem. So the Rashi should have also quoted the word before Al Timreidu, which is Bahashem. In Hashem you shall not rebel. Un Oich Divite the Geverter, as well as the following words: Vaatam Al Tiroas Amaris, and you shall not be afraid of the people of the land. Or at least to allude to them that by writing the Gaimer, as Rashi often does, even if he doesn't spell out the words, but he alludes to them that this is also part of what I'm explaining by saying the Gaimer. Since Rashi depends on these words to know that the meaning is that it's a result, Altiro is a result, so he needs to quote those words to show you where his, where his Pshat comes from. But since he doesn't quote it, so it seems that that is not where it comes from. But since Rashi doesn't quote the word Ba'ashem, or the following words in the Pasuk is moving from this, we understand that his proof is, at least for the most part, not really from the words following, or the word before, or the words following, nor from but rather from the words al itself, he knows that it, that al tiro is a result of that. So we have to understand that, <coughs> and that's why he only quotes the words al timreidu. Gimel the Rashi of the Verter Then Rashi quotes some more words in the pasuk because they are our bread. When his mefarish and he explains what does that mean? We will eat them like bread. In English, we'll ha- eat them for lunch. That's an expression that means the same thing. We have to understand what exactly is Rashi saying there. Number one, what is Rashi telling us new in his commentary, which is not understood from the words of the Pasuk itself? It's self-understood that when you say about people that they are bread, it doesn't mean literally that they're bread. But rather what it means is that it'll be as easy to conquer them as it is to eat bread. So that's self-understood when you say they are our bread that it's an analogy to the ease with which we will conquer them. So what does Rashi add by saying we will eat them like bread? Number two, we have to understand about this Rashi. In the other direction. Since the meaning of the words are that conquering them will be as easy as eating, as eating is then it doesn't matter what you're eating it doesn't have to be like bread specifically it could be like any food it should have said briefly in the Pasuk we will eat them like you said we will eat them for lunch or something similar 
So why does the Pasuk emphasize that we'll eat them like bread? And Rashi re-emphasizes that we will eat them like bread. What's the uh, preoccupation with bread? Why specifically bread rather than just food? Number three we have to understand. To the contrary, Rashi sort of interpreted these words as we will eat them like bread. Sorry, like food. Kemaycha, like food. Not like bread. And not to put the emphasis once again on bread. As is often the meaning of the word lechem in the Torah doesn't necessarily always refer to specifically bread, but rather to food in general. A fourth thing we have to understand, why does Rashi also um, quote from the Pasuk the word because, because they are bread. doesn't explain anything about ki, because. He just explains what is, so why does he quote the word ki as well? Dalit. Then following this Rashi, he then quotes the words in the Pasuk, they, their shade has departed. And he explains, their protection and their strength, which means those, the, uh, the more righteous amongst them, Mesu have died away. Eev, who was a protection for them, he died, and that's what the Pasuk means, their protection has departed. Another explanation of this, the shade, the protection of Hashem, has departed from them. That's how he explains Tupshotum. We have to understand, why does Rashi need two explanations about the meaning of what the protection was. What is what do we see from one which is lacking in the other and vice versa. That is usually when Rashi explains two different explanations. It is because one lacks something that the other fulfills and uh, but there is also something lacking in the second one and that's why the first one is necessary as well. Hey the Pir in Pirish Rashi. So the explanation of this whole Rashi, this whole series of Rashis. Rashi's hechrech to learnen as ve'atam al tiro is a tetzav von altim reidu is nishken unishken inufne atzme is. How does Rashi know that ve'atam al tiro is a follow-up to do not uh, do not rebel against Hashem and therefore you have nothing to fear? How does he know that? Because freer ved that sailed earlier was told. As the Meraglim of Getainet, that the Meraglim said, the other Meraglim said, As Ha'oma Yeshua Oretz, the people that live in that country are very powerful. All the people that we saw there were people of measure, meaning they're big, strong people. And we felt like grasshoppers in their in our eyes, and that's how they regarded us. They also looked at us like midgets, uh, insects. And Yeshua and Kalev did not in any way deny that this is true, that they are a powerful people, that they're giants, tall people, and so on. So then the question comes up, 
How did Yeshua and Kole, what was their reasoning? How were they explaining to the Yidin that you have nothing to fear, that you shouldn't fear those people? They are powerful people. They don't explain why is it that we have nothing to fear. There is something to fear. The Kashavet Nachstarker, and this question becomes even more pronounced. When the Yidin woke up in the morning, the Yidin then said, when, after they found out that Hashem said they're going to be delayed from going to Yisrael now for 40 years, so they said, no, we're going to go up ourselves, we're just going. Moshe Rabbeinu warned them, do not go, so that you will not die, you will be killed if you go. Because the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they're all there, they're powerful people, and they will kill you. So from this we see that even Moshe Rabbeinu was of the opinion that there is something to fear. They will kill you. They have the power to kill you. So then why are Yeshua and Kalev saying there's nothing to fear? Moshe Rabbeinu thinks that there's something to fear. So why are they saying there's nothing to fear? We also have to understand. With those words, do not rebel against Hashem. What did Yeshua Vakalu mean to say by those words? As What they meant, of course, is we shouldn't rebel by not going to Eretz Yisrael. Hashem said to go to Eretz Yisrael. We should go to Eretz Yisrael. So then why aren't they just simply addressing that issue? Hashem said to go to Eretz Yisrael. Let's go to Eretz Yisrael. Why not, why not talk about that directly? Gain in Eretz Yisrael. Why are they talking in such general terms? Do not rebel against Hashem. Why don't you just say what you mean? Hashem said to go, let's go. And that's what Rashi is addressing. These questions is what Rashi is addressing when he says, do not rebel, and then you will have nothing to fear. They were explaining, Yeshua and Kala were explaining to the Yidin. You have nothing to fear if you don't rebel against Hashem. That's the reason why you have nothing to fear. It may be true that the Yidin, and they agree, it's true that the people that live over there are very powerful. That this is, could be a reason why they should be feared. But still, even though that may be true, if you do not rebel against Hashem, that and we will follow the instructions of Hashem. Shuv, for that reason, because of that, is Then we will have no reason, even naturally. Naturally, we're talking about just, you know, our power against their power. Even in that regard, we will have nothing to fear. Even though they they are a powerful nation. And that's why Yeshua and Kolovik said in general terms, 
do not rebel against Hashem. Anish direct Mizalgenim can Yisrael. That's why they didn't say, let's go to Yisrael as Hashem instructed. They spoke in more general terms about not rebelling against Hashem. Because that is the answer to the, what the Meraglim said. The people are powerful. So they said, if we listen to Hashem, there will be nothing to fear. And that is the reason why there's nothing to fear of us. And therefore, because we will not rebel, Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Therefore, we will go to Yisrael. Vav, our pizza is moving. Was Based on this, we can understand how Rashi follows up. Then, is Rashi mefarish ki lachmenu heim neichlem kalechem. Rashi explains that what lachmenu heim they are bread to us. We will eat them like bread. Okay. Because over here. We could interpret the word lechem in the literal sense, that it means bread and not more euphemistically or allegorically to the idea of food in general. And because it means we could explain it as bread specifically, then we should explain it as bread because that is the direct meaning of the word lechem. Abalule pirish rashi, but without rashi, voltmen getaich lachmenu heim. If rashi didn't explain to us, that the meaning of, a bre- of bread here means we will eat them like bread, we will easily conquer them, we could have explained that the word lachmenu heim over here means something completely different. What does it mean? In the Indian, that in regards to the Indian of Knisa de Eleh Yisrael, that they were describing, Yeshua Kala were describing that for us to go to Eretz Yisrael, to come to Eretz Yisrael, on the Kibbutz Am and the conquering of the people that are there, is muchruch pungvilechem. To us, it's our bread. This is our life. That's, that could be the meaning of these words too. For us to go to Eretz Yisrael, it's not just something, you know, we'll go for a vacation. This is what our bread is. This is our bread and butter. This is who we are. This is essential to us, just like bread. So we could have explained it that way too. So Rashi comes and says, no, that's not what it means. And if we explained it that way, and that would be now we would understand why it's not food but specifically bread and why they said because it's like bread to us that they were saying don't fear the people of the land because this is our bread Zeir Kibush, the, the conquering of these people, the Knisalotis, and therefore are replacing them in Eretz Yisrael, is Mukhrachazavilechem, is as essential to us as bread itself. And therefore, we have no, we don't have an option of being afraid of them. We can't be afraid of them. We have to go there, that is essential to us. How could we be afraid? How could we now curl up in fright? We have to go conquer Eretz Yisrael, this is our bread. That's how we could have explained it. And that would make sense why the word lechem is used. Because lechem is an essential, specific, the essential food. And therefore it says, because this is essential to us, would explain why we shouldn't be afraid, why we can't afford to be afraid. But since Rashi says that over here the words 
do not be afraid doesn't mean we can't afford to be afraid. It means we have nothing to be afraid of because we're not going to rebel against Hashem. Because we're going with the power of Hashem. Therefore we can't interpret anymore because it is essential to us as being the explanation of why not to be afraid. Why not to be afraid is, be, is already explained in the previous words, because we're not going to rebel against Hashem, therefore we have His protection. We can't say anymore that it means because it's essential to us like bread. So that's why He has to now reinterpret it as meaning something else. Another thing is that according to this, we would have another difficulty. It's difficult to say that Yeshua and Kalev are saying that it's essential for us to be in Eretz Yisrael when just right after that, immediately in response to that, Hashem said, you're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael for the next 39 years. In other words, it's not that essential. 39 years, you're not going to be there. So therefore, that sort of contradicts that this is essential. The Ribbis of Rashi, that's why Rashi says that the meaning of Kilach Menuhaim is Noichlem Kalechem. We will eat them up like, like bread. We will conquer them easily like bread. The comparison, the analogy to bread is not because bread is essential and this is essential. Nor rather, the way in which we eat like bread. We will eat it, eat them like bread. Meaning, we will conquer as Yisrael just like eating bread. Not like eating food. Like eating bread specifically. Why? Why bread is a greater quality of the type of eating? Why is eating bread of a higher status than eating other food. Rashi doesn't have to spell it out for us. Why? Because the child, the five-year-old child, has already learned about this back in Parshavach Where Rashi tells us that bread, the bread that the Yidin asked, Hashem said, that's a reasonable request. That's a, a good request. And therefore, Hashem will give it to you with love. You asked properly. Bread is essential, so I will give it to you with, uh, with joy. In regards to the meat, which was uh, not essential, why did you have to ask for meat? So that Hashem didn't give with the same love and the openness as He did give the bread. Hashem will give it with love with a smiling face so to speak with a so therefore now when Rashi says the Pasuk says they are our bread and we're explaining that what it means is we will eat them as easily, we will conquer them as easily as it is to eat bread. What it means is, we will eat them like bread means, Hashem will help them conquer us like bread, meaning just as bread Hashem gave us with joy and love. 
so also helping us conquer them, he will give us with joy and love. But Panamira says, just like he gives us bread, like he gives us the man, in the same way, he will also help us conquer them, and it won't be forced upon him. The, the meat that Hashem gave them was sort of forced upon him. They nagged and they nudged, so he said, okay, I'll give it to you. But it wasn't with joy and love. But the bread, we will conquer them like Hashem gives us bread. It will be with joy and love. Hashem will help us conquer them. And this is also a reason why we have nothing to be afraid. It's a further reason why we have nothing to be afraid. And that's why Rashi quotes the word ki. Because this is also a reason for altiro, so the key makes sense. The word key because makes sense that klal klal altiro as Hamaris. We have absolutely no reason to fear the people that live in Israel. Because Hashem will hand them over to us with us with love and with a smile and with joy, and therefore there's nothing to be afraid of. It'll be done in the most pleasant way possible, in the greatest way possible. So Kilachmenu is another reason for Altiro as well. Zion. As regards to the two explanations of Rashi on the word, their, their, their protection has been removed. Is moving the Milo from Satan, Peter, Shafin, Ashton, from Loshan, Rashi, Gufa. We understand why the second one has a certain, uh, certain perf- uh, perfection over the first one, and this we see from the words of Rashi himself that the second one is, uh, is, uh, has a certain quality to it that the first one doesn't have. In Satan, Peter, Zot, Rashi, Tzila, Shulmakam, Sarmaleim, he says, the shadow, meaning the protective shadow of Hashem, has been removed from them, from upon them. But at the beginning of the Rashi, by Matik Zayin, the Vertif from Pasuk, where he quotes the words of the Pasuk, was thus is, Shaykh B'Shavet Pirushim, the words that he quotes from the Pasuk, are, they belong to both explanations. The, he only quotes one time and then explains it in two different ways. So the quote that he brings from the Pasuk regard, is regards to both explanations. Is a Over there he only quotes the words the shade has removed. It doesn't say me'alehem. In, in the quote from the Pasuk he doesn't bring the word me'alehem. But in the second shot he does say me'alehem. Nijdevart me'alehem v'abir the explanation is, for this is the Loshan Sar of Bafrat Sar what does Sar has been removed? Especially when you say from upon them. It's been removed from upon them. Means as the Zach is Abekiganyam from Vuzi is given free Mealayim. That it was removed from where it was earlier. Earlier there was a protective cover upon them, and now it's moved away. It's now somewhere else. This protective cover is now found somewhere else. It's no longer upon them. That's the word sar. It has been removed from there. But it still exists. It's not that it's gone. It's been removed from here and it's now being moved somewhere else. But according to the first explanation that Rashi gives that the righteous among them died, 
kumtois as their tzeil is That means that not that it moved somewhere else. It died means it ceased to exist. It no longer exists at all. Pastanishdim loshen sar. So the word sar, it was removed. Moved doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't. It wasn't moved. It was abolished. It was annihilated. It was destroyed. The makolshkin nishdat gashusar malim. Certainly not to say it was removed from upon them. That brings even more. It makes the meaning of it even more so that it was removed from one place to another. So therefore, the first shot has that inherent weakness. It doesn't really fit with the word sar, and certainly not with Malayan. The Riba learns Rashi at Satan Pirush. That's why Rashi gives a second explanation as well. That the protection is talking about the protection that they get from Hashem. And according to this explanation, the word sar makes more sense. And certainly the word sar me'aleyan, that it was removed from upon them, makes more sense. Because the protection of Hashem always exists. As Hashem promised by the, after the Mabel, I will fulfill my covenant with you, and with your children after you, as well as with all the living beings, all the animals, and so on. So Hashem already said then that He will protect and He will not destroy mankind. And as well, it says that Racham of Okolmasa, the Pasuk says that his compassion is upon all of his beings, all of his creations. So his protection, Hashem's protection, still exists over other parts of creation, over other parts of humankind. But from this group of people, Hashem has removed his protection. His protection still exists, but not over these people. So that makes more sense in explaining the word However, even according to the first explanation, we can explain at least. It doesn't go as smoothly, but there is still some way to explain it. The words, it has been removed from upon them. Even though, according to the first shot, their protection doesn't exist anymore because he have died. But how to explain it? Was the far bring this Rashi? We say them is als erst the pirush and that's why, because even according to this explanation, we could still explain the word sarmeyaleim, and for other reasons, Rashi brings this pirush, the first pirush, as the first one, which means the primary explanation. As I'll explain soon why it, the first one works better. How are you going to explain it? Yeshua v'kala mitzayir zog nesar tzila m'kshedim mesu Yeshua v'kala, what did they mean to say? Their protection has been removed, which means that Eiv, the protect, their protectors died. Seine dachnisht oisin gewen zereidim wegen tzila wegen dekshedim shubahem The the focus of this of Yeshua and Kolev's pronouncement was not about Eiv. They weren't they weren't trying to talk about Eiv and about you know what about him. That's not the uh, the issue at hand. Nor Really, what they're talking is about the people of the country of the land. 
the, the, the people that the Yidden have to defeat, they are the subject of this discussion. Avem and Tzilom is Megan. It's about whom they're being, who's being protected, that's the ad issue, not who's doing the protecting. That, who cares who's doing the protecting? It's the fact that the people are not protected anymore. So that was the real focus. As Vibalts is managed of as Omegan Zainav said that since there's no one to protect them anymore, is Altiroas Amaras, therefore you have nothing to fear from them. That's what they were trying to say. Is So therefore it's not really important what exactly happened to their protector. That's not a that's not an issue. That issue is that there's no longer protection. Why there is no longer protection is not really the issue at hand. Nor what's important is what's happening with the people. They're unprotected. That's why they said their, the protection has been removed from upon them. There's nothing to be afraid of the, uh, anymore of them. Because the protection is no longer upon them. Even though the truth was that it's not just that the protection was removed, like moved elsewhere, but he completely died, so there was no protection at all. But that wasn't the issue at hand. What Yeshua and Kala were just trying to point out, that they are unprotected. That's why they said, they are no longer protected. The fact that Eve died, and that's why they're not protected, that wasn't the issue at hand. So why make an issue of it? Why have to point that out? So therefore, the Sartzim can work even according to the first shot that is talking about Eid. But since it's, you know, it's forcing the, the issue, because they could have said it more accurately as well, even though there really is no need specifically to point out what exactly happened to Eid, but the words don't lend themselves to that. So therefore, it's still a doichig. It's not as uh, it's it's a forced pshat. Bring Rashi echad That's why Rashi feels that he should bring another explanation as well. Of a canal, but as we said before, oich der pirush meginim v'chaskam. Hatanart also the explanation that their protector and their strength, which is talking about Eiv, makes sense too. But other to the contrary, pashtus aksuvim is der pirush mustabe yoiser. If you look at the the words, if you look at the uh, the context of the pasuk, this explanation seems to make more sense. For the since the pesukim are talking about the people of the land, is mistaber as meaning the knanim is mistaber as mitnvort When it says their protection, it means the protection that comes from within them. They have their protection, not outside protection which comes from Hashem, but their own protection. The righteous amongst them. Silom would indicate that it was something from within them that was protecting them. Not the protection from Hashem. If it, if it was talking about Hashem, it would have made more sense to say the protection has been removed. It's not their protection, it's the protection of Hashem. Their protection means something from within them, that they possess a certain protection. And the far is the pirush meginim v'choskun, the pirush yirushim v'ikri, and that's why Rashi likes the first one as the first one, 
because it's uh, it's from within them and it works with sartzivil malayim as well as we explained before and therefore he still considers that one the primary pshat but since there is a certain weakness in the word that it was removed elsewhere therefore he gives another pshat that is talking about Hashem as well Ches so that explains until now we've explained the three Rashis and what Rashi is trying to say so now we move on to the extraordinary teachings that we can gain from this Rashi from Rashi the extraordinary, some of the extraordinary explanations that we can find in this Rashi. The Tzvei Perusha Rashi Zainatoli in the Plukta for Rambam Baraivit. These two explanations of what Silom, what the protection we're talking about, is dependent on a Machlekes that we find between the Rambam and the Raivit. The Rambam Paskin, the Rambam rules, that Shechitas Akum Nevela, if a Goy shechts an animal, it's Nevela. And the halacha for Nevela is that if somebody lifts it in whatever way, even if he doesn't come in direct contact with it, he becomes Tommy. The person that lifts it becomes Tommy. Nevela imparts Tuma by, even if you lift it without touching it. Like let's say on a seesaw, if, you're sitting, if you sit down on one end of the seesaw and there's a piece of Nevela on the other side, even though you're 10 feet away, you lifted it, you become Tommy. And this applies to a non, uh, uh, an idol worshiper or a kusi, which were people that were more integrated into the Jewish community. Or any one of these, their shchita is causes the animal to be nevela. Even if they did a kosher shchita, everything was done perfectly. The Rambam says, it seems to me, that there's also a rabbinic law, because the Tumah, which we, which we say that Avedazara also imparts Tumah, and if somebody brings sacrifices to an Avedazara, to an idol, that also imparts Tumah, but it's only rabbinic. The Raivid is Masiga from Rambam Azok. The Raivid comments on the Rambam and he says, Akum heim kebehemis. Non Jews are, the, the idol worshippers are like animals in, reg- in regards to this. They do not impart Tumah, they do not become Tameh. A guy cannot become Tameh. In this way, they are a nation which is similar to a donkey, as we learn from the Pasuk, that he equated the uh, Eliezer with a Chamer. That they are like nothing, they're considered like nothing, and uh, it can all be um, blown away by the wind. And anyone that considers them to be of any importance, Asaf Ruach Bachafnav is gathering up air in his fist. Very strong words from the Ravid. His point being that Goyim have no Shaykhs to Tumah. They don't have the ability to become Tomeh. They don't have the ability to impart Tumah. So why is the Ramam saying that when a Goy Shechts, he makes Nevela, which imparts Tumah? Frek the Kesef Mishnah and Ravitz. So the Kesef Mishnah immediately asks about the uh, about the Ravitz comment. 
What is the difference? Why does why is it relevant that a guy cannot impart to him or become tamei? We're not talking about the guy imparting tuma or the guy becoming tamei. That's not the issue. Nor The question is if his shchita is a it makes the animal to be a kosher shchita and therefore not nevela or not. It doesn't say that the goy can impart tuma. The question is if the animal can impart tuma. That's the question. So why is he bringing in this whole thing about the goyim being nothing and have no shaykhs to tuma? What's the difference? Is the Ragachava, the Ragachava explains what the Ravid is saying. Then is shaykh, as the shchitas on the kalkalzain, or machan farnevela, when is it possible? We're saying that if the goy shechts, it becomes nevela. When can we say, says the Ragachavar, that the goy's shechita can ruin it and therefore cause the animal to be nevela? Only if the one doing the shechita has some sort of status in halacha. If he has a certain status, then he has the ability to ruin the shechita and therefore make, it in, make the animal into a nevela. But if we see the person that did the shechita as being of no halachic relevance at all, he has no status at all. So then he, can't, he can neither make things good nor he can make them bad. He can't ruin it because he has no status. And that's what the Ravid is saying. Since idol worshippers are like animals in their status within halacha and there as we see from the fact that they do not impart tuma or do they not they do not become tume they are like air they are they have no status so their shchita cannot cause it to become nevela when the riba learned the raivet and that's why the raivet says ashchitas akam nevela is he agrees with the concept that when a goy shechts it's nevela that's actually in the mishnah as his nishval the akum is makalkal but he explains that the reason is not because the goy caused it to become nevela the goy can't cause anything he can't cause it to become shchuta which means kosher shechted meat and he can't cause it to become nevela either he has no status at all he can't cause anything. What then? So why then is it nevela? So the Raghachabar explains that what the Raivet means is mitzad and vashchitas akam is nishken shchita because he has no status. And therefore what he did to the animal by shechting it has no status. It, it's not shchita, it's nothing. Vamele is this nevela Therefore, halachically what we view this situation is as if an animal died on its own, without any cause. It wasn't shechita, it wasn't anything that ruined the shechita, it was nothing. And therefore, we just saw an animal die. When an animal dies, it's nevela. It wasn't caused by the guy, it wasn't helped by the guy, and it wasn't ruined by the guy. He had no part in this at all. That's how the, the Ragachava explains the Raivet. However, you can still ask the question, why does the Ravid bring up they cannot impart Tumah, they cannot become Tumah? Why does he bring that in? Because according to the explanation of the Ragachavah, 
what he's trying to bring out is that they have no status. That's what he's trying to bring out. So why does the Ravid bring an example of them having no status in regards to the matter of Tumah? That's not the issue. Uh, it, it's not about Tumah that he's trying to bring out that they have no status. In Metamim. So why does he bring that as an example? Kemenzogen. So we can answer that as follows. Lekula Alma. Everybody agrees. Eichel Das Arayved. Even Arayved himself. There are a number of things in Allah in which we do find that a guy has status and that he could cause something because of who he is, specifically that he's a guy. For instance, as an example, an an idol that belongs to a guy. That is prohibited. Uh, a yid is not allowed to have any benefit from it. So even though a yid did not worship the Savaydazara, did not uh, make the Savaydazara, he had a yid had no connection to the Savaydazara. A guy made it into Avaydazara, decided that it had godly powers, and that makes it gives it the status of Avaydazara. You're not allowed to have any benefit. So we see that a guy is able to cause something and give it a status of Avedizara. In fact, it's possible that a guy even has more power to affect Avedizara even than a Yid, because as soon as a, a guy makes an Avedizara, it becomes Asr Bana. For a Jew, it's possible that only after, he, if he were to worship it, God forbid, only then would it become Asr Bana. But then other situations as well, other examples of where a guy does have status in Allah. Therefore, the Ramam can't make a statement, a blanket statement, that a guy has no status at all. He's like an animal. Therefore, has no has no effect on any halachic reality, because that isn't correct. There are situations in which he has an effect. The Rebbe is a moisiv That's why he adds these words and he explains: They can't impart tuma, they can't become tummy as to tumas and is that at least in regards to tuma they have no status, they have no impact on anything at all. But gather heather, they have no status, as we said, it's like gathering up a wind in your fist. And therefore what he's trying to say is therefore their um, their action on this behema cannot give it the ability to bring tuma through masa because they have no ability to cause tuma to bring about tuma. That's why it brings this example. But it still goes back to the idea that is they have no status in halacha. Of course, in the matter of tuma specifically, that's why it brings this. So now, this machlegas between the Rambam and the Ravid, whether a goy has a status of some sort, other gather header, or they have absolutely no status. This leads to a similar view of the situation, which affects how do we see a guy in regards to Ashgacha protest to divine providence? In other words, how does Hashem 
look after the Goyim. According to the Rambam, who says that they do have a certain status in Allah, is Gam Heim they too have a certain place in Ashgacha Pratis. But according to the Rabbi, the Zayn and that they have no status, is by there is no Ashgacha Pratis, there is no divine providence over them. So the question, according to the Rambam, Hashem, there is specific involvement of Hashem with the non-Jewish world as well. According to the Ravid, it's just in a very general term, like the rest of creation, but there's no specific um, attention to them. And this would even fit with the Shita of the Balshemta, which says that the, everything in the world has Ashgachapratis, because the Balshemta also acknowledges that there are levels in Ashgachapratis of what kind of involvement Hashem has with different categories of, of creation. And therefore, there's a hierarchy to that as well, and we're talking that it's on a lower, on a much lower level, and therefore called as if it doesn't exist. Tess. So therefore, we might explain that these two explanations of Rashi on Tzitzilam, whether their protection is talking about their people from within their community, or the protection of Hashem. So Anatoly and Deis depend on this dispute, this disagreement between the Rambam and the Ravid. According to the first explanation, he goes with the approach of the Ravid that the Bnei Noyach are have no status in that way. Therefore, we can't say that their protection is talking about the protection of Hashem. To say that before there was protection from Hashem. Now the protection of Hashem has moved away. Because that would mean that they had protection at some time, at some point which means that they had a certain status of which was deserving of Hashem's protection. And the proof is and the proof is that when we say the shadow, the word the actual word tzile, which I'm interpreting as protection, really means the shadow. Uh, they're under the protective shadow. So the word shadow means that the, the shadow is in accordance with the what is creating the shadow. The A shadow is measured according to what is throwing that shadow. Like the if a person is walking, so the, the height of the shadow, the shape of the shadow, everything about the shadow is going to be in accordance with the person who is causing the shadow. Uh, and since they have no metzias, they have no status, they don't have anything that could create a shadow. When Vida explains, therefore you can't say that they have asgacha protis. And therefore, since we can't say that in regards to the there is a shadow which is 
that Hashem provides, which is in according with their status, with, their, who they, with who they are, which is what causes a shadow. Therefore, we have to explain that it means something else, that amongst them there was somebody that provided a certain protection, and that that's what it's talking about. But it doesn't mean that Hashem's shadow has been removed from them, the, the shadow cast, um, the, the protection cast by Hashem. Mashenkin lit in Svetan Peter, but according to the second explanation. Here we look at it already from the way the Rambam sees it. That they do have a certain status. And that Hashem does take a, a personal interest in them. And therefore you could say that the shadow of Hashem is about them. That there was a time when Hashem provided them with a shadow, with a protection. That it comes in accordance with who they are and what they are, based on that, is the shadow which Hashem provides. So we see that it's, it can be based, the different uh, shatim can be based on this machlekes of the Rambam and the Raivet. Yud. We get a clearer understanding of this when we look at it from the perspective of Chassidus. The Pirush von Tzilu Sholomokim is what is the meaning of the shadow of Hashem? As the Pu'ula Sa'odam Tu and Of and Inyin Lamaylub Dugmus of Pu'ula. What does it mean that the shadow of Hashem is dependent? What that means is that the person down here, our activities create a corresponding shadow, so to speak, in the worlds above, which is in accordance with the activities that we do. Similar to what the Baal Shem Tev explains, Al-Aposig, he says about the Pasig Hashem Silcha, Hashem is your shadow, which again means your protection, but it means shadow. As Loiti Inyonevasayit Tut Lamata, the Baal Shem Tev says that according to what a Yid does down here, it causes corresponding events in the heavens above. Kemoshul Tzela Odom, like the analogy of the shadow of a person down here that according to how the movements that the person would make the shadow will, uh, will of course emulate every single movement that you do because everything that you do is what creates a shadow so the Baal Shem Tov says everything that a Yid does down here or a person does down here causes a reaction a similar reaction based on that in the heavens above in a similar way at least somewhat similar way is also in regards to the shadow of Hashem in regards to the non-Jewish people since Hashem does not withhold the reward from any creation anyone that does something good will be rewarded so if a goy does a good thing, so it causes a corresponding reaction. That something from above is given to them as a reward. Which means when a goy does a good thing. For instance, fulfilling the seven Noahide laws. 
or something similar, git they are given reward. Of course, conversely, if they commit a sin, it also there is a corresponding shadow reaction, which would be in, a, in accordance with the harmful thing that they did. So therefore, something harmful could happen to them as well. This can only be true according to the Rambam. That they have a status and they have an existence which can cause a reaction. Then you could say that the what the corresponding reaction from above is in accordance with what they specifically did. In, in other words, that they too create a specific reaction. There is, Hashem is watching specifically what they are doing. There is a corresponding reaction to this particular person, to this particular act. But according to the Rive, that they have no such status. You can't say that what they do should have an equal reaction from above. They have no action. They don't exist. According to what the, Ram, the Ravid says, that they don't have this divine specific providence. According to the Raivet, of course, there is reward for a non-Jew as well. But it's not to a specific act. It is just seen in the context of their life mission, that they have something that they have to accomplish in life. And when they do or don't, there is a reward or punishment for that. Their general reason why they're created was in order to serve the Jewish mission, that they, they help the Yidden fulfill their mission. And according to that, whether, how they do within that greater context, according to that can be a reward, but not to a specific thing. Similar to what we find, that there is such a concept as reward and punishment, even in regards to animals. The Torah says, In certain situations, if an animal, something was done with an animal, an animal never has personal responsibility, of course, but an animal was used in a certain way, you should kill, the animal has to be killed for that. Even though, Nobody can say that an animal committed a sin. As the, it's actually written, Rashi says, and the animal, what did the animal, what sin did the animal commit? But So then why is it, uh, why do you kill the animal? The reason is because a human being was, had a failure because of this animal. That's why the animal is killed. So what is the meaning of that? You can't say that the animal is being punished for the person having done something with it. Rather the reason is, what is the, whole, the purpose that this animal was created? In order to service per, man, humankind. So when this animal doesn't service humankind anymore to the contrary it was even instrumental in having the humankind fail because of it 
Not that it's at fault, but the fact is that it no longer serves a purpose. Its purpose is not being served to the contrary. It's causing harm. Therefore, there's no longer any reason for this animal to live. That's why it's killed. It no longer has a reason to live. And in a similar way, says the Raivet, there's also reward and punishment in regards to other nations. Since the ultimate creation of everything in the world is for the purpose of the Jewish mission, is it's understood that also the mitzvahs that the non-Jews were, were commanded it can't be compared to the mitzvahs that the Yidin have by a Yid the mitzvah itself is the purpose that's the ultimate purpose there is no other purpose the mitzvah is what it connects you to Hashem it's not do this mitzvah in order that something else should be accomplished the mitzvah is the goal so by a goy, it's not the same nor what is it by him? Says an Indian tafel b'shul Yisrael. The the reason that the Sheva Minister B'nai Noach exists is, as was already discussed, I'll say it in a minute, that it's for the purpose of helping the Yidden to further their mission. V'umvishingeret amol baruch, as the Rebbe already spoke once previously, as Zayir Mitzvah Zayin b'shul Yishuv Oilam, that all the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach have one purpose, which is to keep the place a sane place, an orderly place, not a place of chaos, not a place of destruction. That's the purpose of all the Sheva Mitzvah So in other words, The Goyim have the job of keeping the world sane, whole, not to destroy, destroy itself, or that, we, that people shouldn't destroy it. The Yidden don't have the mission of keeping the world in existence. The Goyim have the mission of keeping the world in existence. The Yidden have the mission of making the existing world into a holy place. So a Goy has the mission of preparing the stage for the, Yid, for the Jewish mission. And therefore, their reward or punishment for the Sheva Mitzvah is a result, as we said, similar to the animal. That the animal, it's not that you're punishing him for what he did. It's connected to what he did. It's just that he exists for a purpose. If he's contributing to that purpose, then he, he continues to exist and exist in, a, in the most comfortable way possible. If he no longer contributes to his mission, there's no longer a reason for him to exist. In a similar way, a guy also gets rewarded and punished. But it's dependent on the mission. How does he fit into the mission of his existence? And based on this, we also understand another interesting thing. That by God in, in the Sheba Mitzvah in Torah there is no difference what kind of violation they committed. The penalty is always the same. The punishment for every single sin committed by a guy is equal. Misa, death. 
any violation of the Sheva Mitzvah brings one penalty, death. Why is that? Because they're all fits into the context. The question of the, the Agoyz doing, uh, doing good or doing bad is only one question. Does he contribute to his mission or does he not? If he does, then he gets to continue and, he, and, and in, a, in a comfortable way. If he doesn't, his mission is over. There's no reason to continue existing. And this is different than by Yidin, Nizhva Be'atzeel. But whereas when we call a shadow, what's the meaning of a shadow? The shadow changes according to the, whatever the person who's casting the shadow does. But a guy, whatever he does, it always leads to the same result. So you can't call that a tzel. And therefore the Ravid says that there is no tzel and you can't call the, uh, the shadow of Hashem to be a result of the uh, non-Jewish activity this way or that way, for the good or for the bad. And that's the difference, uh, at least from the inner perspective, and as well as according to Allah, between these two explanations of Rashi. The first of Pirush is Kishidus Arrived. The first one goes according to Rabbi Az Bnei Noyach Zenebegeder Heder that the Bnei Noyach don't have that kind of status. On the Schar Ba'inus Bazei is an Aninyan Habag Ketaytzah B'Darach Memele that whenever we talk about reward and punishment, it's it's just something what, which happens from how they fit into the, uh, the the picture, the whole picture of creation. On the Ribe Lenter as the the Pirush von Tzilom is Nish Tzilushol Makim. Therefore, he says that when it says Tzilom in the Pasuk, it doesn't mean the shadow of Hashem, nor Meginim Cheskom Shalahem, but rather a protection that comes from within them. They have something within them, Eev, that to protect them. Durch Dikshedim Shalahem, because of their own, uh, they had uh, certain uh, righteous people amongst them. Vertin that's why it strengthens them. But it's not something that they cause in the heavens above. They have a reaction for something that they do. But a second explanation from Rashi is Kishidus Ramam goes according to what the Ramam says that they do have a certain status and they do have specific divine providence to what they particularly do and the act that they do. And therefore, he could say that Sartzilom could mean also the, the shade of Hashem. And even though, of course, of course, the Rambam also agrees that the only reason, the whole Metzius of Agoy is for the purpose of the Jewish mission. And of course, all the seven mitzvahs also. But since they did get these commands of the mitzvahs, they got the seven mitzvahs, and especially according to the way the Rambam says, that the reason the Sheva mitzvah, the Goyim have to keep the Sheva mitzvahs is because Hashem wrote it into the Torah. In fact, they have to know that as well. That Hashem told us these mitzvahs through Moshe Rabbeinu. We have to say, therefore, that through their fulfilling this, these mitzvahs of Hashem, they, through this they cause an equal reaction from the heavens above in response to their keeping these mitzvahs.
Therefore, you could say that they have the shadow of Hashem upon them. That they have a shadow, a protection, which is a reaction to their specific behavior. Until it's called their shadow. In other words, it's a result of the, what they did, and therefore it's their shadow. Hashem becomes their shadow. Based on this, we'll, uh, we'll be able to understand even better the what is going on in the in the in the psukim and in Rashi. Number one, Why did Yeshua and Kolov add this idea that their protection has been removed? We can understand what they said earlier. They said, if Hashem wants us, then we will be able to accomplish whatever we need. Also their words, do not rebel against Hashem. Do not be afraid. Rashi explained, that because you will not rebel against Hashem, therefore you have nothing to fear. That makes sense. As we engage the Kerech since we're going with the power of Hashem, is and even naturally we have nothing to be afraid of them. As well as the words, following words in the Pasuk, because they are our bread, which we said means we will eat them like bread. As the Eivish Tevet Segevin, that Hashem will hand them over to us easily with a with joy and with with love, <coughs> that's understood also. Is this all describes what needs to be done now? What the Eden have to put themselves in a certain frame of mind in order to meet with the new challenge? But why is it important for Yeshua and Kolov to tell us what's happening with them that they have no protection? To say this is slightly differently. If Hashem wants us, in other words, He He finds favor, we find favor with Him. We will hand them over to us. And do not rebel against Hashem. So if all that is. So if all of this falls into place, Hashem wants us, and Hashem protects us, and Hashem will hand them over to us. Why is it important to know what is happening with them? They do have protection. They don't have protection. Why is Yeshua and Kolev getting into that? Number two. Since we're going to eat them, if they already stated that we're going to eat them, meaning we'll easily conquer them, then it's self-understood that they have nothing to protect them. Otherwise, why would you say we will easily conquer them? Number three, why at the end of that whole recitation do they repeat again, do not be afraid of them? After saying all these things, they repeat again, do not be afraid. Number four, you say to them, even more so, they just finished saying that if we do not rebel against Hashem, in other words, we follow Hashem, we will have the power of Hashem, and therefore there's no reason to be afraid. Then he says, 
First, he stated that if you don't rebel against Hashem, you have nothing to be afraid. Now he says, Hashem itonu Hashem is with us, do not be afraid. So he had to spell out that Hashem is with us. Why does he have to, first of all, say again, don't be afraid? And now he has to give a reason why we shouldn't be afraid, because Hashem is with us. It's not enough. It seems almost like it's not enough that do not rebel. Is the beer in them? So the explanation of this is Bekibush is given When they conquered the people of the land, there were three categories: Mesim, the ones that died, that they killed; or there were people that they immediately banished from the land. They caught, they had to flee. They had to get out of the way immediately. And then there was Agarshenu Nordem as Tifre. Then there was people, Hashem said, do not, uh, we're not going to banish them all now, because otherwise the animals will uh, take over, and so on, so they will, later on, sometime in the future, once you build up your own people, then you'll uh, banish them in the future. After you will multiply, then we will take care of them. And in the meantime, they became the uh, servants of the people, like he says, Lachmenu, our bread, they provided. So, in understanding these three categories, even according to the second explanation of Rashi, that the going do have Hashem's protection, as the Rambam says, is the Chabba movement of Hashem's, but itself understood, that there's no comparison between the Hashgacha Protest and the non-Jewish world, as there is to the Hashgacha Protest of the Jewish world. As the Mitzvah for Nidin is the Kavonah, or in Zayalain, as we said before, that by the Yidin, when they do mitzvahs, it's the mitzvah itself which is the purpose, not that it serves some other purpose. And this is what Yeshua Kalim were emphasizing. First, they dealt with what the, what the Miraglim said, that the people are a mighty people. They answered that by saying, do not rebel against Hashem, and then you will have no reason to fear the, those people. That there's nothing to be afraid of them. Whatever the situation is, you're not, you're not rebelling against Hashem, you'll be taken care of by Hashem. And then they added another layer. Even more so, their protection has been removed. Needless to say, according to the first explanation of Rashi, that it's only talking about the uh, the righteous ones amongst them. That even according to the second uh, explanation, that Hashem's protection has been removed. And not only has he been removed, but now we find that Hashem is only with us, Itonu, which means, of course, they have no protection. Hashem is fully on our side. Nishnar as by Eden felt Not only are the Eden not lacking the protection of Hashem, nor of Hashem Itonu, but even more so, Hashem is fully with us. The says by Umas Ha'elim is the Hashgacha Pratzuf Neibish Noich Ben Zi is Da Bepchinet Tzelo Makif Avzei. 
when the goyim have Hashem's protection, it's only like a an outer protection. It's it's not an, a personal protection. Tzel, a shadow, means something that surrounds you. Whereas itanu, by Yidin, it's in the category of itanu. By Yidin is the Ebesh the Nishnah Bebchines Makim Narech itanu. Er Mitzayin Shkocher is a Mishyached Mitons. That Hashem becomes one with us. Itanu means becomes, integrates with us. Not just uh, watches from the outside. But itanu is integrated with us. So it's understood that not only do you have nothing to fear from the people of the land but that you have nothing to be afraid of at all. Not just from those people. Not only will they no longer be the people of the land because Hashem is giving us that land. They are only our bread, which means not, not only will they be sort of our servants, that they will serve our needs, like Lachmenu, that's what he explained before Lachmenu, they will become non-existent at all because Hashem has completely removed Himself from them and they have no existence at all. One could say that also this also fits with the other three categories of how they conquer the land. One is one mitzvah that they weren't allowed to, any nobody was allowed to live. Not when they conquered that to kill everybody. There were certain people that they made peace with them and they were there, like the Torah says about when you go to war with nations around you you can uh, make peace with them and they should serve you and then pay taxes and so on. And then there was Girgoshi Pinel Afriki, the, uh, the nation of Girgoshi that lived, that was one of the Canaanite nations, they evacuated and they all moved to Africa, they got out of the way altogether. And Sof Sof, and in the end, what turned out was, as is the Nochikumen Betaina, that all the, the, when the Yidden conquered the land, it was fully laden land so the same the fields were were planted and growing and they came to ready made vineyards they got everything um, was fully provided